Hello and welcome to another episode of Nevermind the Keywords. I am your host Dylan and alongside me is my fellow co-host and content team member Nafisa. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, sir. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. had a busy morning. Yes, yeah, it's a busy week, I think. <laughs> um, oh, it is. Yeah, and I know this is your first time hosting the podcast. Are you excited for it? I'm really excited. Slightly nervous, but I'm really yeah. excited. The nerves go away, I think, once the <laughs> once you start talking. Um, yeah, hope you're all well. Um, we've got an action-packed show again today. We're going to do the news. We've got an interview. Um, today, we're going to be talking a lot about software development and coding. S- stick with us. It does get better than that. Uh, we'll be talking to Amy Wilde, she, who works at North Coders, based in Manchester. They offer uh, coding apprenticeships to to anyone, really, um, if you want to get involved. But we'll let her tell you a little bit more about that. Um yeah, um, it was a really interesting conversation. We spoke a lot about um, barriers to the industry, for why coding is so valuable in today's world, and the different avenues that it can open up to you, and the diff- the different types of people that can be open to it. It's not just your what you would imagine a traditional person yeah, exactly. going to coding. It can be anyone. Yeah, it's a crazy industry, and I didn't quite realise how accessible it was. But yeah. We'll let her tell you about that. Uh, we'll, yeah. be, we'll be back with the news. So we're back with the news. Uh, this is our little section where we run through a couple of scenes that uh, things that we've seen in the in the media. I guess so kind of trying to relate it back to what we do at Embryo. Uh, we both brought an article today. Uh, I'll start off with mine. So basically, the article I found was. Um, the top dogs at Tony's Chocoloni is, I believe, how you pronounce it. Uh, the chocolate bar people um, basically talk about the importance of a good product. Um, and they actually say that their number one marketing tool is their product because they make it like an interactive story. Yeah. Um, which I found really interesting. And it's something I wholeheartedly agree with. Um, you've got to have something good to sell to be able to sell it, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, there's only so far you can go with a poor product. I mean, what do you think? No, definitely. I mean, you could do all the marketing, all the content writing, all the SEO, everything. But if the product isn't good, people aren't going to buy the product. Yeah, They're not going to become loyal customers. You need to have the good product to get the loyal customers. In. Yeah. At the end of the day, if no one wants it, no one wants it. Um, and that's all just going to boil down to whether it was a good product or not. I know I know that I like certain types of chocolate and it's because it tastes nice, um, evidently. And um, But yeah, it's... It's just one of those things, I guess, is if you're trying to sell something that just isn't good, you, you've you already got a ceiling above you and yep. the ceiling is quite low. Um, there's only so far. I mean, if you look at places, uh, companies like Apple, um, their products sell themselves because they're so good. Um, they don't really need to market themselves. No, they... I, I'd probably say they probably think their number one marketing tool is their products as well um, yep. because they sell great quality. People will buy it. Um, and I think that's just an interesting concept because I think that translates to so many different in- well, it translates to every industry really. Yeah. Um, I, I, I could I probably couldn't imagine any industry where that's not the case. Is having a good product mm-hmm. is your number one kind of selling point, like. Yeah. And the storytelling behind it, like both Apple and Tony's Chocolate mm-hmm. have an immense story behind the product that made it as good yeah. as it is. They kind and... of immerse you in their world, I guess. Yeah. yeah. No, it's really interesting. Apple are obviously great in that creating like this ecosystem of devices and products yeah. where if you have one you have to once have you're one. in it you're in it and yeah. once you've got a, once you've got a macbook you've got an app you've got an apple watch and you've already got an iphone because everyone's got an iphone already um and all of a sudden you need an ipad to go with it you need a pencil because they all work together and i think 
once you've had a little taste of how they they all work together so seamlessly yeah. you just put you, you couldn't really go back to having to sit there pairing devices with each other and trying to find ways to make devices work together when they just without even having to think about it they just do it um, it's just effortless isn't it yeah. the same, you don't have to try no it's the same with this article that you were bringing up the fact that their their product isn't effortless product it's chocolate which everybody likes yeah. and they've got a really good story behind them as well yeah and they, and they just do it right yeah they, they sell great chocolate and mm. that's why they sell so much chocolate i guess yeah uh, but yeah that was just what i wanted to touch on a uh, cool little story about a little bit of chocolate yeah. um what have you brought for us nafisa um so i brought a little article that is mainly to do with about agile marketing which is basically not necessarily working longer but working smarter mm-hmm. and combining all the resources that you have to create a really reputable digital marketing strategy mm-hmm. basically and like the you, the fact that just because you're necessarily busy all the time doesn't necessarily bring value so it's about creating a creating a speedy marketing strategy that creates value and also combines everything together and you're working seamlessly together from the get-go you're not bringing in teams later on down the line you yeah. are starting together to create a an efficient product yeah i think you make a good point there like you can you can be quote-unquote busy but not necessarily productive and i think i probably a culprit of that sometimes is i find myself sat there thinking oh my god i'm so so busy um but at the end of the day nothing kind of nothing productive happened and then i'm then i kind of sit there hating myself and, and i progress procrastinate more and um yeah I, I think there's a there's huge points to be made about kind of working smarter not harder i guess um prioritizing things properly yeah finding out where you're actually wasting time during the day because I, I think if you were to take a step back you'd probably find where you wasted time is um and that's the stuff where you're forcing yourself to work harder because you're not being too smart about it if, if you are procrastinating for hours a day on a certain thing whether it's a, a task like you're finding difficult to do but you're not asking for help yeah. to me that's probably a form of procrastination or at least it's you're not you're not helping yourself are you no because you end up staring at yeah, your screen because the help's always there as well yeah um, i'm the biggest advocate in the world for asking questions <laughs> and because there's no such thing as a stupid question if you need an answer get an answer um but you yeah. definitely drew that into my head <laughs> yeah exactly and that's it's the best thing i could possibly teach people is just ask questions because yeah. i think by doing that you are working smarter you're not working harder yeah. you're getting the right answers from the right people and that allows you to do what you're doing in the most effective way and i think we do that really well at embryo like we yeah. work all the services work together in tandem yeah. when we it's need all about to. collaboration isn't it yeah. um kind of the, the best way to achieve any results from your marketing strategy is a multi-channel strategy yeah um, it always will be um attacking your audience from every angle you can think of um but doing it in the right way and doing it in a way that works together um to me that'll always be the smartest way to go about it you are working smarter you're not putting all of the onus on one one type of marketing um but yeah and obviously that's what we do at embryo and it, it yeah. works great for us so uh yeah yeah no definitely I, that's why i found it really interesting because yeah. it's basically the article it is doing really well yeah well. it's true yeah. No, it's a really cool article, and thank you for bringing it, Nafi. No um, that's all for the news this week. Um, we'll be back with Amy Wilde's interview just after this break. So, really excited to be chatting to Amy today from North Coders. 
Uh, welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, so do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about North Coders and kind of what you guys do? Yeah, sure. So North Coders is a coding boot camp. We're a 13-week really intense course to get people prepped for their first step into junior software development careers and we're also an apprenticeship provider so we use the same learning modules but we stretch it over a 13 month period for the apprenticeships as well cool so kind of i mean how did that kind of come about is it spotting a niche in the market kind of thing or is it a a lack of people doing that kind of role at the moment yeah so the concept was born from so our ceo chris chris hill He used to work for Skybet and he was a software developer. And the biggest problem that they had at the time, which was six years ago this week, actually, it's our birthday, our sixth birthday. Um, So he had a problem within his teams that he he couldn't attract enough talent and enough junior devs into um, Skybet. And he was like, hang on a minute, where are all these people? Um, And there was a big gap from people that were doing kind of like comp science degrees and not enough people coming through, um, through that route. So we thought there's a better way to do this. And then the idea of North Coders was born. Um, he left Skybet. He set up North Coders six years ago. Um, the first cohort was um, six people. Um, Amul Bartra, who's now the COO of North Coders, was on that first cohort and oh, loved really? it so much, invested in the company. And it, and it, it just organically grew uh, from, from in, in that way. Um, and then <clears throat> five years down the line, we uh, went for a round of investment. We went for an IPO. So we're now listed on the London Stock Exchange on the AIM uh, Stock Exchange market. Yeah, so we've grown hugely, um, but it's because of the demand. The demand for software developers in the UK is huge, absolutely huge. There's a real skills gap in the market. That's amazing. And what? why do you feel that there's a need for for an establishment like North Coders within the industry? Because it's extremely male dominated. Does that sort of help? Um, it is male dominated. You're absolutely right. And, and, and we need to change that. And we're trying to, we're trying to change that environment. So it's not just so male dominated. Um, we're not the only bootcamp provider. We're not the only apprenticeship provider. And we're still able to get people into roles. So 95% of our graduates go on into uh, careers as software developers. So the demand is sky high. And I think the problem that's created the demand is from grassroots. So it starts at school. And it starts at colleges and, you know, talking about my experiences and where I've come. I mean, I'm in my 40s now, so there's a big, there's quite a big gap, gap, timeline gap there. But, you know, when I was at school, it was unheard of that a a girl or a female would be advised that there was opportunities and potential for them to go into tech or to go into IT. Um, And we were kind of like all channeled into, well, it depends whether you were working class or whether you were, uh, clusters middle class or upper class you know if you if you had money behind you you could go to university and learn mm-hmm. if you didn't you had to go out and work and the options there were limited um and it was all around uh, the manufacturing um environment or if you were a girl you were encouraged to go into childcare or or beauty and hairdressing and there's nothing wrong with that at all mm-hmm. however it did prevent a generation i'd say a good 10 15 year generation of going into software from a female perspective. So we're behind, massively behind in terms of uh, encouraging women and, and, and young girls to get into technology. It's getting better, mm-hmm. um, but there, there is a gap there that uh, that needs addressing, is being addressed and we're working towards it, but all companies can still do more in that sense. Um, 
technology still is a white middle class male dominated environment and, and we need to change that uh, for sure yeah and obviously yeah. north Cold is there is helping by providing kind of yeah. anyone who anyone who wants to to get involved in that kind of process i suppose yeah absolutely um, so talking more about your role at north coders uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of what you do it because obviously you're not sat there coding and stuff absolutely uh, not. i mean do you have any coding not, experience nope, are you not a coder i'm not a um, coder I'm not a techie brain whatsoever. <laughs> I have tried to code. Yeah. It's not for me. Um, my brain is not set up that way that I, I can code. Um, obviously, I'm interested in technology. So, that you know, I'm passionate about technology and I'm passionate about being in this industry. And, te and the tech sector, let me tell you, is a fabulous place to be as well. It's, it's a really nice, encouraging environment to be in. And the majority of the people are just really, really nice people as well. Um, but no, I'm not a techie, so I'm chief commercial officer. So I look after the sales teams and the marketing team within North Coders. So it's within my remit to set commercial uh, strategy and direction, marketing and sales strategies and grow the business in that way. Um, with obviously the, the team, the classroom team and the dev team behind me and the sales and the marketing team as well. Yeah. So do you, do you think you find that quite challenging to get all those teams working together for a common goal? Um, or... <clears throat> no, because I think that I, I've been at North Coders for two years. So what we've been able to do is build the team out. So we, we're going through a pe period of rapid growth at the moment. And so when I started at North Coders, I think there were 25 staff and we've now got 83, oh, maybe 84. Oh, I, lo I lose count. We're growing that fast. Last week it was 79. This week it's 83, 84. Um, so we're growing in a massive way. But what we've been able to do with that investment and the fact that we've grown so quickly is to make sure that the team that we've built around us um, all have the same goals and ambitions mm -hmm. and all have the same dreams and all have the same wants to change the landscape. So the way that we've been able to build the team, I'm not walking into a company that's got a, a, a team of... I suppose people that haven't got that same desire and ambition, we've been able to handpick those people who believe in the same causes. So from that sense, it's not been so difficult to try and change anything in that sense because we've built the team out the way we wanted to. So I've been lucky in that way. Yeah, that's cool. Kind of like building this culture from the get go, really. Yeah, isn't? absolutely. And we do have a strong culture, and we do we don't have. Um, hierarchy as such so all the decisions that we make we make as a team um, all the mistakes we make we make as a team and all the wins we, we we have are as a team as well so it's kind of like that everybody feels that they're included and that's really difficult to maintain whilst you're scaling a business and you get bigger and bigger and bigger but i'm really keen uh and adamant that we won't lose that as we grow because it's important to maintain that great culture and we don't want to be in a position where anybody comes in and feels alienated or that they're not heard or they haven't got a voice. So it's really, I'm really keen on keeping that kind of culture in house. Yeah. I really like the idea of like keeping the accountability kind of spread across kind of everyone. Absolutely. Everyone gets to play their part then as well. Yeah. They feel included. Like it's not just a team when it's their win as well. It's everyone's part of everything. And I, I, I absolutely love that. Um, so obviously coding is a little bit of an obscure thing to go into. Mm -hmm. Um, and I suppose your your you guys are kind of tasked with getting people to go into that. Yeah, is a pretty weird thing to have to ask someone to go. I know when I was at school, I didn't know what a coder was. I know they tried to show us little bits of insanely techy stuff in the IT lessons, mm -hmm. and like just like it was for you, it wasn't for me either. Um, how, how do you kind of 
encourage young people to be mm -hmm. going into those kind of industries? Well, I think, you know, the environment and the landscape that we're in at the moment, everything is digital, everything is tech. So everything that we touch from the minute we open our eyes is tech related. So I think it's actually easier now to talk to younger people yeah. about getting into tech because they know about it a little bit. Um, and to be a coder, you know, when we say, oh, it's not for me and it's not my brain, you know, I'm, I'm more of a strategic thinker. But if you've got good problem solving skills and you don't have to be a genius at maths, you don't have to be all those things. But if you've got good analytical and problem solving in, in, your, in your head, then you can be a coder. So that there are no barriers in, in that sense. Um, so, yeah, for the younger generation, I don't think it's so difficult to talk to. For people, uh, parents, potentially mums who are mm. stay at home mums, there's a bit of a barrier there because obviously if you were looking to retrain, it's how to fund that. So who mm -hmm. funds that process? Who pays for the bills while you um, kind of like retrain to be a, a software developer? Um, and the answer to that is actually apprenticeships, which has, again, a negative connotation yeah, as such absolutely. because it's classed as just for young people. Or again, when I was younger, apprenticeships were viewed as you will be an apprentice and you will make the brews exactly, and that will be your exactly job. What I got told. So exactly. And so nobody wanted to do it right. But in actual fact, apprenticeships and it needs a rebrand. Apprenticeships yeah, so need absolutely. a rebrand. Um, and the government have tried that because they tried to put modern in the front of the word apprenticeships <laughs> and modern apprenticeships just it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mean anything. Uh, but apprenticeships is a really good route in because yeah. in tech, the salary, um, starting salary is about 18,000. So, you know, it's not, an amazing salary, but it's going to pay your bills mm -hmm. so you can retrain in, in that uh, uh, to be a, a software developer or a coder or anything, UX, UI. Uh, there are apprenticeships in, in most tech-related roles and it affords that opportunity for people that are, I suppose, a little bit older or have families or are returning to work for some reason or completely wanting a new career to be able to take those steps uh, without it costing them an absolute fortune in terms of uni fees or course fees. Um, our course at the moment is funded by the DfE as well. So depending on which area that you're living in the country, whether it's uh, the northwest, the northeast, the Midlands, and um, the northeast, Yorkshire and the Humberside, um, you can apply to do a North Coders course, and it's fully funded Amazing. via the DfE. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think you make a really good point there about apprenticeships. I did an apprenticeship; that was my route into the industry. And I think the best way I can describe it is when I was going through that like, school system, and I got to kind of choosing what I was doing after I finished school it was kind of um the people who are smart go to uni the yeah. people who aren't that smart do apprenticeships yeah and it's just so far away from so people learning so means. many different ways absolutely some people need hands-on experience to learn what they're doing some mm -hmm. people can just sit and listen to lectures but I think just the way it's kind of ingrading you from when you're like 15 16 years old like you're, you're very vulnerable to kind of being molded at that kind of mm -hmm. age and um I definitely felt it. Like when I chose not to go to uni and started looking at apprenticeships, I felt like, oh, I'm taking the stupid route almost. Yeah, yeah. And it's just not that. It's not the case. To, to me, it's the smartest route into, it, into an industry. Uh, well, it, it absolutely, it absolutely <laughs> is. But there's just such a negative perception. And I, I love apprenticeships. I think they're absolutely wonderful. But their brand around them and that, percent, that, that it's, perception, it's it's, even in yeah. companies, when you talk to companies, <laughs> And you talk about the apprenticeship program that we do is a level four software developer. Mm -hmm. And the biggest question that we get asked for companies is when will this individual become valuable to us? 
And it's within a, a six month period yeah. that this individual can start to, you know, have some real benefit towards the business, which is what, you know, businesses want, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but we talk to them about the level four standard or the level four course. And then at the end, it's almost kind of like, oh, by the way, it's an apprenticeship. Because you almost, the, the, the word itself, yeah. it just brings up yeah. all these kind it's of kind wrong. It's kind of deemed as just an apprenticeship. Just an apprenticeship. It? And yeah. it's so wrong. Like for me, I'm such an avid believer in apprenticeships, but I just wish the government would rebrand it. <laughs> just have that, please rebrand it. Um, but yeah, hey, it is what it is for now. Especially for like industries like coding, where you need that hands-on experience. You, it's not yeah. something that you could necessarily learn in a traditional mm -hmm. classroom setting. Mm -hmm. It's the most valuable way to get that experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you haven't got the money behind you, how else do you break into a new industry? It's 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 a no-brainer, really. But again, I uh, could wax lyrical all yeah, day. Oh, I'll just, ne I'll just <laughs> never, ever, ever understand that stigma. It's, no. You get the you get the education and you get the experience. I just I don't understand what there is not to love about the apprenticeship route. Yeah. Um. So obviously you said you're not a coder yourself, but to you, what is coding? I suppose you're probably an interesting person to ask this question. Kind of what what is it as a discipline? Um. It, when you're kind of removed from it, it's, it'd be interesting to get your take on kind of what it entails. So. <clears throat> I mean, coding is, is technical and the various different programming languages yeah. that you yeah. can talk about that I couldn't talk about. Yeah. But there's a good analogy that, that I use when I'm talking to people that are from a non-coding background. And if you think of it like a recipe of how to bake a cake, for example, um, the cook is the computer, okay? And the recipe and the instructions is the developer, the software developer. So the software developer is putting together a list of ingredients, turn the oven on to 200 degrees, add your eggs, add your milk, add your flour, whatever it is. And they're, they're writing this down in code to give the cook, the baker, a set of lists and instructions to perform. And that's the simplest way that I can break down what code is and what it does. So a dev or a, a software developer or a coder will sit and, and write in code a set of instructions for the computer to perform. And that's the most basic way I can think to, to explain what code is. And then that expands onto kind of like front-end development and then UX and UI. So that's the end point, so how to make it pretty. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to make a cake and then you took it out of the oven and then you decided, do I put icing on it or do I put cherry on it or do I put <laughs> strawberries on it or cream or candles or what have you? That's the design element and the front end bit. So what makes it what makes it um, interactive, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, for the user and what what what's going to make someone want to buy it or what's, what's going to make someone want to um, use it in the way that it's going to be used. That's... Yeah the most basic way I can explain it. <laughs> no, that's a perfect analogy. And there's like shows that there are different elements to it as well, the back end and the front end, which are both equally as important. Yeah. But do different things. Why do you think that coding has become more valuable in recent years? Oh, well, again, it's just the explosion of the tech world. So as I mentioned before, everything is tech related from the minute you open your eyes, everything, you know, we all have our digital footprints. We all use technology. The first thing I do in the morning, the alarm clock goes off on my phone and I pick it up and then I'll check my emails and I'll check Instagram and I'll check LinkedIn. Everything's tech related. So it's impossible to be in this world without having touch points with tech. Um, and that that's the explosion. And through businesses, obviously, the need is there um, for that skill set to how to understand tech. 
how to sell our products, how to buy things, how to communicate with people is all tech related. And that's, that's your, that's your demand. Yeah, no, definitely. And what would, what would you think of like the, if you were introducing somebody to, to come into the practice and become an apprenticeship, what, what sort of things could you guarantee that they would learn? So from our perspective, the way that we uh, run our courses is we have something called an entry challenge. So before someone starts on the course, we need to make sure that they're ready and able to do mm -hmm. the course. So we set them, we've got our own onboarding platform, um, which is kind of like practice code. So we start at the, the very beginnings of code. So one plus one in code. And we work through a set of exercises. There's also loads of free resources like free code camp and code wars that people can have a play on uh, to get them kind of familiar with coding and software development and what it does. And what we do is we uh, ask people who want to come and join our courses to do these practice steps and see how they get on. And some people will think that it's for them and they really want to do it and then do a few practice challenges and then they're kind of like oh it's not for me and that's fine that that's that's not for them but for the people that do they are um they do these practice challenges and then they come and they do what's called an entry challenge with us but so we sit them with a tutor and they talk about the questions that they've gone through and the answers that they've formulated and they and they're asked to rationale it so how have you come to this answer mm. um how did you get there what were your first steps um and it's unpicking the code so they have an understanding of what it does. Um, and for me, that's a really good indicator of well, whether someone's going to do really, yeah. really well on the course or whether someone's going to just disengage within the first couple of weeks. Um, and some people do and some people don't. So the first steps for me would be get out there and practice. Get onto free code camp, get onto code wars, practice bits of code, speak to people, phone us, email us, whatever, and we'll, we'll, we'll guide you through the process. Yeah. So obviously a lot of a lot of going into coding can be taught. It's it's a lot of technical skills. Mm -hmm. But do you think there's anything within it that's kind of you need some kind of personality traits to be in there? I know you mentioned stuff like problem solving before. because um, I know I know going into what I do, I'm a content writer. Um there are technical skills that you need and and you can learn them, but there are certain kind of personality aspects that you probably need as well. Do you think for coders there's the, the same exists? Um, I don't think there's personality aspects or traits mm -hmm. that would stop you from being uh, a dev or not. Mm -hmm. Problem solving is is a is a key skill. Yeah. Um, and I think persistence as well, because a lot mm. of the things that I hear and the feedback is that when you're learning to code, often it goes wrong, and yeah. you have to be persistent and not just give up. Um, and look at different routes of how to do things. But in terms of personality, I don't think there is personality traits. And skills-wise, <clears throat> it's just having the ability to not take it personally if your code doesn't mm, work because yeah. it's not – you'll find another way to do it. So it's finding a different way to do it. Um, we've had, like, on all co our courses, we've, had, we've, we've, taught, we've taught over a 1,000 people and we've had people from such a broad range of different back backgrounds and careers. So we've had people that are straight from school or college. We've had uh, a busker. We've had the train announcer at Manchester Piccadilly train station came and learned to code with us. And then we've had people from what you would deem as professional uh, 
environment so vets and uh bankers and such and such like so i don't i don't think it i don't think it would be wise to kind of like try and mm. cherry pick different yeah. attributes because i think it's open to all as long as you're interested in it and your ability to keep on going if you don't yeah. solve that problem straight away yeah yeah i think persistence I think is a good one to pick up yeah. because for my limited knowledge of coding it will it will go wrong oh absolutely um, it, it will and it will do it time and time oh, again yeah. and it's just and again that's where the problem solving comes in because you're trying to work your way around that in the end absolutely um so you mentioned there are a lot of people coming in from kind of obscure industries that you wouldn't expect do you think that's a case of them kind of that brings me on to my next topic actually really well um the topic of upskilling um do you think that's they're looking to upskill is it something they're just they're just trying to learn a new thing they're interested in um well, some people are looking to upskill because some people come to us that have done uh, comp, comp science degrees and come mm -hmm. and upskill in specifically code. Yeah. Um, for me, a lot of people are coming from a reskill perspective rather mm. than an upskill perspective. Um, so we're providing junior software developers. So to me, upskilling is taking a junior and, and turning them into yeah. a mid or, or a senior. Um, a lot of people that come to us are just really interested in technology and code and they're in environments that don't support that mm. so they'll come to us to try and learn learn to code from that from that perspective but to me that's more of a reskill because they're they're new into the industry as such yeah and what does you kind of touched on it there but like why do you think it's important for people to be able to learn how to do that and at north coders in particular uh but there's just there's such a demand in the marketplace so in terms of job opportunities they are there and that is not going away um the biggest feedback we hear from companies all the time is they cannot get mid developers and senior developers and obviously to be a mid or a senior takes mm. time you've got to start right? somewhere, yeah. you? but you have to start somewhere yeah. and there aren't enough mid and seniors so we are feeding a pool of people that are the future mids and seniors and the, the, the demand is massive the demand yeah. is massive. Well, you've got to create that pool of base level. Yeah. Absolutely. Devs, haven't you? Yeah. You're never going to get to those senior roles if you if you don't you have don't. that basic knowledge yeah. already. You have to support that that new talent into industry. Yeah. Um how how do you feel how do you find like the the idea of upskilling and continuing their professional development but carrying on from going into like a new from an existing role? Okay, uh, and it's as in the existing role in tech. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> we've kind of like trialed. We trialed the apprenticeship uh, model with people that are developers already mm. in terms of upskilling. So taking them further. Um, the problem that we have with the apprenticeship model is that it's a bit slower. And what you find is when people have first got into their roles and their juniors or even mids the way and the rate that they learn is very very quick so there is opportunity there to build courses to upskill those people but it needs to be in a really really timely and quick manner um because that's how they learn so once, once they're there they're just they they're like sponges they yeah. absorb everything and they're really interested so they want to learn new programming languages and they want to fast track the career and they want to just you know some people spend their weekends 
coding outside of work because mm. they're that passionate about it. So upskilling is great, but it needs to be at a fast pace. Yeah. So it needs to be delivered in a really agile way that developers' brains and appetite <clears throat> is satisfied in that way. Um, so for me, the upskilling courses that we uh, want to run, and we do have a few that are commercial products, they're just bolt-ons to learning. So you've yeah. got your basic platform and then you're able to purchase, whether it's a company or whether it's an individual, to progress that uh, your uh, knowledge in that sense, but it's it's got to be quick. Devs are quick, and mm -hmm. they like speed. Yeah, we've we've got some yeah. devs at, at Embryo, yeah. and they're yeah lightning fast the way they work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know you touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, was it ninety five percent of your graduates end up in roles? Yeah, end up in roles. Yeah, that's quite a staggering stat, really. Um, and because I know that even like university graduates do not have that kind of. Mm -hmm success rate and getting into jobs. What do you think it is about maybe North Coder services or the courses that you provide, or maybe even the, the people that come into your courses that kind of create such a good turnout rate? Um, I think that the key to our success is actually, actually the course itself and the classroom team and yeah. the team of devs that create that. So they are geniuses. <laughs> and so the course is a real, like I said before, it's a really, really intense course. But we don't just teach in, in specific programming languages. So we teach people how to unpick code. So when they go into an organisation, when we talked about those developers and how quickly they work, they're able to pick up other programming languages really, really quickly. And it's because we've, we've taught them the foundations and the principles of code rather than verbatim teaching them a code principle, mm -hmm. for example. Um, so I think in that sense, the way that we teach and we have curriculum partners that are businesses as well, and they constantly feed back to us the type of tech that they require for their businesses. And we tweak the curriculum according to that. So okay. we're always up to date with the newest kind of methods. And if you compare that to, I suppose, university and traditional routes into, into the industry, um, they're not able to keep up as quickly as we do. So we can change our curriculum. We're a commercial model. We can yeah. change our curriculum weekly if we wanted yeah. to. So as tech changes and as it changes so fast, we're constantly tweaking it so we stay up to date. So when a company gets a North Coders graduate, they know they're getting a really, really uh, thorough junior that can yeah. be project ready, go straight into the organisation and start to work on, on real-time projects. Yeah, I think that's... I think that's really important because the industry is changing so fast and you need to mm -hmm. be able to keep up with it. Otherwise, you're going to be left behind and that's the it. people that you train are going to have to upskill again somewhere down the line. Yeah, so yeah. you're giving them the tools from the get-go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a no-brainer to want to learn like that as well. Why would you want kind of a course that was relevant two, three years ago when it yeah. could be a course that's re it's relevant now? Absolutely. And in an industry that it just it is changing that frequently, mm -hmm. like it probably does change weekly, monthly. Yeah. Um, you you do need a course that reflects that, which mm -hmm. again it brings it brings me back to the apprenticeship thing, and I won't bang on about it, but um, it just seems like the perfect way, in, doesn't it? Because you're getting that experience, yeah, and it just it just works, I think. Um, mm. so yeah, we the, there was a stat that we picked out um when we was doing a little bit of prep, um, of ninety percent of the industry seems to be male, um, when it comes to tech and particularly coding, um, I know we touched a little bit on equality before, but um, is there anything North Coders does particularly to help people from various different backgrounds into Yeah, into yeah. So we, obviously, we, we have the course that's funded from the DfE, mm -hmm. so that's helped in terms of barriers to entry regarding costs and the apprenticeship. Yeah. 
but also 50% of our staff are from gender minority. And Amazing. I think that's really important because you've got to live and breathe what you aspire to. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of companies out there that, that talk about, you know, diverse, diversity and inclusion, but they're not actually living and breathing mm -hmm. it. So 50% of our, our team are from gender minorities and that then attracts people from gender minorities to come and do mm -hmm. our course because yeah. they don't feel threatened in that environment. Yeah. Um, so from our perspective, that's the way that we're trying to uh, change things. I really want to, so we have a careers team that help their graduates when they've, they've graduated, get into their, their first roles into tech. So I'm really pushing at the moment to trial uh, taking people's names off CVs so mm -hmm. they're completely nameless yeah. uh, and addressless. So there are no personal details on there whatsoever to try and encourage companies to not have any um, unconscious bias straight away. Yeah. Um, so that's something that we're looking to trial. Um, and obviously, again, going back to that grassroots, going to speak to younger people, going to speak to uh, colleges and, and schools and talk to, to women and girls about mm -hmm. how they can be in this industry and it's a nice place to be. Um, so our board is, is half women and half men as well. So we're really kind of like living and breathing what we yeah. want to see in the industry. Um, <sighs> And again, a lot of business speak about it, but they're, they're a male-dominated male boardroom there talking about yeah. how they want to be more inclusive and diverse, and it's just not going to work, is it? So um, we're trying to live by our standards to encourage the industry to do the same. And what, what barriers in particular do you think women and people of colour do face when, when trying to get into the industry? Um, again, it's that being told that, that it's even possible, I think is the, the start. Um, for me personally, I'm a mum, so I've got two children. So for me, you know, five years ago, it would have been impossible for me to get into the industry because who supports my children while I go and do mm -hmm. this? So again, we're looking at different funding streams to have that ability, uh, ability to be able to, to give and provide that to people. Um, but also it, it always starts at school for me always starts at school and it's telling people that they can do these things Absolutely. like anybody can do this but there's so many barriers put in front of different groups of people in the uk that sometimes it's really hard to get that message through um but again what we're trying to do is leave live and breathe our morals and our desires and our aspirations to encourage people from all walks of life that this is a place for you uh, and it's not it's not exclusive no, I think that's really important because I know for me as well, like it is really important to know that there are other people there when you enter the room that look like you and Absolutely. you have something in common with as well. So yeah, yeah no, yeah. Th to be able, the fact that you're doing that is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. We're doing something right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you touched on there that you're a mum, got two kids. Yeah. Um, obviously tech is such a fast paced industry. Yeah. How do you kind of find that work-life balance? Um... <sighs> <laughs> the dreaded question. <laughs> God, where do I start? Um, <laughs> right, no, it's fine. So I work, like, I'm so privileged to be where I am. I work for North Coders and they're a mm -hmm. super understanding company. So it's Easter holidays at the moment. So I've got pressures at home to get back, to pick the kids up for sports camp or whatever camp I put them in for the week <laughs> when I'm trying to work. Um, so I've got kind of those pressures, but they're super understanding and, and companies should be. Absolutely. So, you know, being a parent does not make you unable to do a great job. 
So for me, I've got a completely flexible working pattern. If I need to leave at three o'clock to go and pick the kids up, I do. And then if I need to make my time back, I make it back when I choose, not when it's, you know, not you have to get back on your laptop at eight o'clock and work till 10 o'clock to make your hours <laughs> up. Um, and it works. So, so it is a balance and it is hard and it is tricky, but I'm in the best environment possible to support me and my children in that in that sense um and i think covid's had a massive part to play in that because obviously before that it was everyone was in the office nine till half past five and you're expected to work this you're expected to work that and i think the companies have now realized that in actual fact that doesn't need to happen and the output that they get from people is the same if not better um and and companies are more appreciative of that work-life balance still a way to go I feel but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very lucky where I am that I've got a supportive team behind me and I've got a supportive company that that allows me to do my primary job which is being a mum at the end yeah. of the day nothing's more important than that no absolutely I think what you said there about Covid um, I, I think that's what to me one of the biggest positives that probably come out of the experience we've had there weren't too many but there is one and I think the kind of flexibility we've got in the way that we can work now because beforehand the idea of being almost fully remote it was a complete unknown businesses mm-hmm. just did not know how that would go and they've seen now over the past two years people can work at home for the majority of the time and it can work yeah um if not more effectively mm-hmm. um and i think that's been such a nice culture shift because it just it feels like you've got a lot of your life back outside absolutely. of it absolutely like, it's not just the actual working hours the commute as well yeah that, yeah that can be two hours yeah. a day absolutely um you, I think I feel like you just find more time in the day now, don't you? Being able to you work do, more. and I just think from my like from my perspective, like wrap around childcare. So my kids are at school, and then there's a breakfast club, and there's a you know after school club. I don't want my children to be in in breakfast club or 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 mm. childcare from half past seven in the morning till six o'clock at night, and then be sat in the traffic, stressed yeah. to death to get back home in case I'm late for to pick them up at six o'clock because they close. Like, mm. who, who's going to pick my kids up if I don't get back? So the amount of stress and pressure that put on me would actually affect my work because I'm feeling stressed and pressured. Whereas now I'm not, I'm just totally relaxed. I need to go and pick the kids up. I'm going to nip out and go and get them. Do you think you could go back to a fully nine to five in the office no. job? No, no, I don't think I could either. No. <laughs> it's the flexibility and autonomy that it gives Absolutely. you, isn't it? It makes a huge difference. Yeah. And I think also, I think the stigma around working from home has changed rapidly now, thanks to COVID. Absolutely. And if you don't trust your staff, why have you taken them on? That's a huge Like literally, like I trust all of my team wholeheartedly. I don't need to check in on them. I don't need to ask them where they are. Like I trust them because I took them on because I like them. I know they're great at the job and I trust them. You don't need to do that. Absolutely. And if you do... You've got problems. <laughs> yeah, you, you should be, like, in theory, they could work from anywhere. And Absolutely, yeah. Um, Any time of the day, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think I'm pretty much wrapped up for questions. I've got, I've got one more, and it's if there's anyone listening to this who's even remotely thinking about going into coding, what would be your kind of closing statement to them? Just do it. Just, Just open it. your laptop, get on your computer, get on free code camp, have a practice, have a research, see what you can do, and. If it, if the bug takes you and you and you like it, just just crack on, just do it. There's nothing stopping you whatsoever. There's support out there to help you get into the industry. It's a great industry to be in. It's friendly, it's supportive. You've got all those flexible working patterns and support in terms of being uh, having having a family or 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 doing whatever you want to do. You know, you can live in a camper van and code and work mm-hmm. for a company, and you could be travelling around Europe. You know, there's yeah. no barriers whatsoever, but just 
start. You Sounds have like to make dream. a start. Yeah. It does sound like a dream, doesn't it, Matt? Do it. <laughs> so we've got one last section left. We do it with absolutely every guest right. that comes in here. It is 10 quick-fire questions. Nafi's going to reel them off. Um, don't think about them. Just answer them. Your favourite chocolate bar? Oh, Star Bar. Your um, worst habit? Oh, I'm too self-critical. Your best habit? I'm kind. Your biggest inspiration? Oh, my kids. That's a nice one. I like yeah, that. my kids. And what would you? Ch- what was one thing that you would change about yourself? Oh, being less self-critical. <laughs> <laughs> Describe your life in three words. Oh gosh, busy, fun, chaos. And what's something happening in your life right now? New. Something new. Oh, God, right. So for me, it's all about navigating my children and their different stages of life. So I've got an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old now. So they're very different in their milestones mm-hmm. and development. So I'm navigating around what was a, a lovely, sweet boy into a gobby, what is soon to be <laughs> teenager. That's what's happening in my life right now. <laughs> and um, what, uh, what, what does success look like to you? Ah, oh, that's a good question. Um, Success to me is happiness. You can have billions of pounds. You can be the CEO of whatever company. You can be admired by a million people, be a superstar, whatever. But happiness to me is the the key to success because without that, there's no point. What was your favourite subject at school? History. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, And your... Three favourite books that you would recommend? Ah, see, now, I'm not a massive reader, because if I do read, it's with the children, so I'm, like, mm-hmm. into kids' books. But recommend us some children's yeah, books. Yeah, Go for it. Well, yeah, it's a classic, isn't it? Matilda's brilliant. So, I love Matilda. Um, so, for me, I, I'm, I'm also... The Forager's Calendar, for me, is my go-to book at the minute, um, and also... Uh, books about kind of like gardening and stuff because I'm a granny. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do with my weekends. But that, that that's what I read at the moment. All factual, not too not too into fiction. Oh, that's cool. amazing. I've got a really good book about bonsai trees at the moment. Oh, bonsai trees. Oh, so I'm not alone then. Brilliant. No, I've got Brilliant. Like, bought it a few weeks ago because I've got myself a new bonsai tree. Well, we'll have to swap. I'll give you my forager's calendar and I'll take your bonsai tree book for a, we have a week or two. <laughs> anyway, um, I think that's all we've got time for. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for coming on, You're more on, than Amy. welcome. Thanks uh, for having me. It's been a great chat. Really good to get some insights into the kind of the coding industry and kind of how that works. Fabulous. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks. See you later. So the uh, the interview there with Amy was brilliant. I thought she was so insightful. Um, she was. And I think it's quite interesting to see um, a non-coder's point of view on the coding industry. Yeah. Obviously, she is involved in the industry quite heavily. But I think it's interesting to see kind of what her thoughts on the industry are. I know she said it's not really for her brain. But it's interesting to see kind of how she helps facilitate so many people from every kind of background entering that industry. And her passion for the industry shown through throughout everything that we said that. And it really opened my eyes as well to like how versatile coding is mm-hmm. and how the other people can come into it. And she's really, and the fact that we were talking about a friendship as well, I think that was really important yeah. because it's not some, I know, you know, it's hard starting a new industry, going Absolutely. into a new place and having that support with actually helps a lot 
and I think it will get a lot of people more interested and find it more accessible. I know. I was almost convinced to start <laughs> doing a coding course. Maybe I will on the weekends. Um, yeah, no, it was great to have Amy on. Um, yeah, and I think that's all we've got time for this week. Um, we'd love it if you could give us a like, share, follow on wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, and we'll see you next time.